I realise, you know, more than ever when I was planning this series and so on, how blessed we are. You know, we, it's something we say as Christians, isn't it? I'm blessed. You know, just try it. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Say it. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Do we believe it? Now, here's the question. Do we live it? Because one of the things that, that God's really been sort of on my case about is that this isn't talk. That this isn't like um, just something where we, we read the word and we learn. We actually have to practice it. Because without practicing it, it doesn't work. So you can know as much about the word as, as like anybody on, on the planet and it still won't work for you if you don't practice it. And here's the really interesting thing. God says you're already blessed. So try that. I'm already blessed. I'm already blessed with all spiritual blessings, all blessings in heavenly places. And I'm claiming those in my life. Now, to, to get that to work, we have to live what we say. You see, I believe that this nation would already be swept by revival and we wouldn't be praying for it if we lived what we say. Because then the blessing of God resting on us would be apparent. And, you know, we don't take the word and use it and apply it to our everyday circumstances like we should. So that's what this series is about. Now, when, when, if you've got your, your free gift or if you haven't got your free gift, you can pick one up at the end. Um, I'm not going to be following the words in there. So it's not like we did Romans where I preached and you got the chapter the next week. This is... That's just a self-contained hole. It's a gift to you. I'll be picking up some of the themes that are in there. Um, but the point that I'm doing is I'm trying to enable us as a body to step in to what God has for us. And we'll only step into it if we do what it says. And Christians, we've got really good at talking a lot, criticising a lot, complaining a lot, woe is meing a lot, and not believing what God says and living by it. And so that's the purpose of this series. And um, I'm going to work through it, you know, over, just over August. If you are away particular weeks, then uh, like we did with the evangelism series last year, you can request a set of CDs at the end of it. You can listen to them. You'll be able to listen to it on the web. Um, and so nobody gets to miss out while you're on holiday. But it's really important that we get this. Now, I haven't talked about finances or, or money for years um, in, in the church. It's not a favourite topic of mine. And the, partly the reason that it's not a favourite topic of mine is that I felt that over my Christian walk, I've been manipulated by people. But manipulated by by. Uh, pastors or churches or whatever and I guess there's kind of a lot of us feel that and we go oh we're talking about money oh well being blessed isn't just about money being blessed is having God's provision in every area of your life in 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 health in in finances in opportunities in the work of your hands in your relationships that's about being blessed but finances is one specific application of it. And although I might not like talking about it a lot, Jesus liked talking about it a lot. 
And, and it was kind of on his, his, his radar. So I want you to turn with me to Psalm 1. You see, let me hazard a guess. For a lot of us, you've already processed in your head, Mark's talking about finances, that's a sore subject for me. Interestingly, God doesn't view it as a sore subject. He views it as basic Christianity. And, and I'm going to talk about that, not this week, but, but um, next week or the week after. I'm going to talk about how, what, something that Jesus said. And Jesus, Jesus said this, if you can't be faithful in finances, I can't trust you with anything. So there's nothing of the kingdom for you because you've got to learn to be faithful in finances. And I read that and I go, man, that's a hard word, isn't it? Why couldn't you say, can, why don't you be faithful in putting chairs out, God? Or why can't you be faithful in coffee making and then I can trust you with putting chairs out? You know, that, that sort of thing. Why, why do you not work like us, God? But the truth is, he doesn't work like us. And that's what we need to start to understand, that God does not work like us. He has a completely different system. Because if he worked like us, and all our efforts and all our planning and all our scheming and all our um, trying to, to get ahead would work. But for most of us, all it does is causes stress and health issues and, and hassle and struggle and effort. Because God doesn't work like that. You see, I, I learned a long time ago that it's really much better to do things God's way than it is to do them my way. I learned that at university. I, I started to, to learn this. And, and, and I started to learn it. And the area that I started to learn it in was finances. I didn't know that Jesus had said, well, if I can't trust you with finances, I can't trust you with anything. I'd, I'd not come across that passage at the time. But I was, I was reading this book. And, and some of you might remember it from, uh, um, I guess, late 70s, early 80s. Who was around in the late 70s, early 80s? Put your hand up quick and put it down again. You know, like that. And, and there was this book. And I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with this book. I'm just saying that I read it at the time and it really challenged me on finances. And it was a book called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. And, and I started looking at that and I started to look and, and God really started to talk to me about giving. Now, when he started to talk to me about giving, my immediate response to it was, I don't like that. You, like, you know, when he, when, he t when he started to say that, I, I'm coming up and there's this voice in my head. Now, you, what you've got to realise at, at that stage is I'm a student at university. And so I, I've got this voice in my head and it's saying, don't be stupid, God. Don't you know I need the money? And for most of us, that doesn't change. Whatever stage of life we are, we, we have a, a, an inbuilt flesh response that says don't be stupid God don't you know I need the money and God says don't be stupid listen to me you see there's certain things there's little hooks that the enemy uses and our flesh uses to stop us plugging in to the blessings that God has for us and remember what I said is we have to practice this stuff as well as talk about it and, and, and one of the hooks is, how will I manage if I give some money away and then I'll run out? 
How would you all like to live like millionaires? Nobody wants to live like a millionaire. And he said, I think you're fibbing. How many of you would like to live like millionaires? Okay, well, I've got something better for you than living like a millionaire. What if every single need of yours was provided for the, sec- the minute you really needed it? You see, there's no difference to having a million pounds in your bank and all your needs be met at the point you need them for. You don't have to have the million pounds to be blessed. What you have to have is the faith and, and doing things God's way so that at the point of need, you're provided for. And then you live like a millionaire. That's how it works. You, do you see? You don't have to be a millionaire to live like one. What you have to do is trust God that he's going to provide for your needs and, and, and he's going to bless you abundantly if you follow what he's doing. And so I, I'm, I'm doing this and I, I'm going like, God, I, I don't, like, I'm a student. I don't have any income. And he goes, just start. So I started there and then at, uh, I guess, the age of 19, 20. And, and I gave a pound a week because that's all I had. And, and as, as it built up and, and I wasn't seeing any, any difference, any results, so I thought, well, okay, well, I can either back off or I can go for it. So I doubled my giving to £2 a week. Now, that might not seem a lot, but that's quite a lot to a student in the 1980s. I mean, for me, beer money, it was gone. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do? So I carried on giving, and, and I can say that looking back, you know, those five years since I left university, looking back, <laughs> God's blessed us extraordinarily. And what I can say is that there is a difference, there is an incredible freedom that has come and, and, and we've lived with in our life that where we can give and bless people without having to be fearful that we'll go short ourselves. And that's an incredible freedom. That's something you can only get by doing God's, things God's way. Amen. So Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So if you want to be blessed, you can't do it the way unbelievers do things. You can't listen to their wisdom and their counsel. Because in God's kingdom, their wisdom and their counsel doesn't work. So if we want to plug into something that is more than our own effort and the sweat of our own brow, then we need to listen to the counsel of God. And I'm doing this this series right now, not just because it's the summer, but I'm doing it because actually it's not the best time, is it, to talk to the church about finances because half of them are away. Um, But I'm doing this right now because I'm not going to ask you for anything at the end of it. So I'll just, I'll just tell you that now. There's no manipulation here. We ain't asking for anything at the end of this. You know, there's not like, you know, I'm not going to bring a gift day on you next week. I'm doing it specifically because we don't need that at the moment. We're not going to do that. Okay? Now, I, I, I realise you're going to go, okay, well, uh, we have our annual gift day in October, so we might be thinking then, but that's too long range for me. Uh, trust me, I don't think beyond tomorrow. <laughs> so, 
His delight, so this is the man who's blessed. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. How many of us meditate and, and, and then take in and, and think through how God's word works for us? How, how are we going to apply this in our life? Because when he talks about meditating, what he's saying is, you know, okay, you've got words, you've got a principle, now it's going to become part of you. So think it through. How, how is this going to fit in to what you're doing and, and the way you're living your life right now and your circumstances? He's like a man, he, no, sorry, he's like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. Just try that. If I do this, I'll prosper. Okay, try again. <laughs> I know it's summer. If I do this, I'll prosper. You know, we have to realise that God is looking for us to prosper in every area of our life. Physically, mentally, spiritually, financially, relationship-wise, he's looking for us to prosper. He's not looking for us to do badly. You know, in the Old Testament, one of the reasons that when Israel was at the peak of its powers under David and Solomon and things, people started coming to Israel to see the wealth that it had accumulated because they could see that by following that God, it blessed them, it blessed Israel. So people came and looked. The Queen of Sheba came to look at what Solomon had because God is a good God. And, and we, we kind of have a problem with that in England. We, we'd much rather God was a mean God who wanted us miserable because that equates to holy in the way we think. But actually, holy means trusting God with everything in your life. Health, finances, job prospects, relationships, everything. That's true prosperity. That's true blessing. So, I want you to do something for me. Right now, what I want you to do is I want you to make a mental decision that you are, for the, certainly for this month, going to put aside past upsets, past abuses, and past manipulations about finances. And you're just going to shelve them for now. Because I've got great sympathy with you. Because I've seen the hype. You don't have to go very far to see the hype. And the trouble with the hype is that the enemy uses that to rob of the truth. You see, I, I've been told, and, and if you're a visitor today, you won't understand this, but everybody else will. I've been told, you know, I've, I've seen guys, and, and they've told me that if I, if I give to Missions Week, and I put my hand on the TV screen, I can receive their anointing and become a worldwide worship leader. <laughs> I'm not joking. Now, I, I would think that would be a genuine miracle if I was a worldwide worship <laughs> <laughs> Being able to sing would be a good starting point. I'm very enthusiastic in my worship, but not necessarily technically gifted. But 
you get stuff like that, and then you get other people, and they say, like, if you if you send us a thousand dollars today, we'll uh, we'll pay for your family, and they have this altar, and then they go, oh, we've got all this gifting, we've got this gifting, this gifting. Your children will be saved, your family will be saved, and they pay over this, and they pay over your checks. It's abuse, guys. And the thing is that we can't allow us to rob that of truth. We can't allow abuse to get in the way of truth because that's the enemy's plan that's why he's doing it to stop the kingdom working and and it's that offense we carry in our hearts that stops the kingdom working in us so we need to put it on one side and actually come back and go like what does God's word say and what we discover is God's word says something different from our human logic says you see we can't fall into this trap of compartmentalising life into the spiritual and the secular. Church and my job. God and my family. We can't compartmentalise like that. You see, when we compartmentalise and we just go about our everyday job and, uh, you know, do everything we can to get on and and make progress, and get promoted, and earn the money, and pay the mortgage, and, and so on. You can get to the age of 70, 80, 90, and have never seen God move in your life at all. And I don't believe, I don't think as believers we, we should settle for a life where we don't see God move in it. And the only way we, that's going to happen is if we begin to trust God and do it his way. You see, there's things I've noticed about people who don't consistently follow God's way, particularly as I'm talking about finances, but as I've already said, God blesses you in lots of areas. But here's some things I've noticed about people who um, don't follow God's way but are believers. They're tired. They're worn out. They're stressed. Um, they don't give. And yet, at the front of church, they'll tell people to give. And whenever they get a breakthrough, they'll say, God's blessed me. But it wasn't because they were following God's ways. And they become increasingly reliant on getting prayed for instead of just living God's way. They, they're always looking for a miracle because there's always a problem. And you know why there's always a problem? Because God says, if your heart isn't right, in the least of things, which is finances, then the devourer comes and steals. You see, I notice this in, in people that worked with me. I, you know, what I have to say is that partners in accountancy firms, law firms, and investment banking, they earn a lot of money. And so, you know, I, I used to park in my, my parking space next to a guy who had a Maserati and a guy who had a Ferrari, and I used to park between them, my Renault Espace. <laughs> we had a Renault Espace. It was, it was, Jess loved that car. <laughs> she used to call it the UG. <laughs> Jess loved it that much that this is the only time this has ever happened. She encouraged me to give it away to the church, <laughs> which is what we did. <laughs> so, I, but... Here's something, we used to get 
a, like a, a small amount each month, and then each quarter we used to get a profit distribution. And each quarter, those partners were desperate for money. And they were, like, money you, you wouldn't even conceive of, like, what would I do with it? And yet they were spending it. They'd go on holiday, and, and they wouldn't understand why, but forty or 50,000 had gone out of their bank account. And they could, no way could they trace what had gone on. You know, stuff, if you don't follow God's way, here's something else that happens. Stuff always breaks. Stuff is always going wrong. <coughs> it's always you that gets the dodgy washing machine. <laughs> now, I'm not, I'm not trying to threaten you. I'm just saying, if you don't go God's way, you by uh, default it's the enemy as a field day and all you've got to respond to that is effort sweat more work harder work less time at home more time in the office more time away from your family that's only a way you've got to respond to it more stress look, always looking for the next job for the next pay rise and and you run your life like that and god doesn't intend us to run our lives like that Here's what God says. Blesses the man who delights in the law of the Lord. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Whatever he does prospers. Now, here's how this works. We're born again believers who receive the spirit of God when we're born again and we, we, we come alive inside spiritually. What happens, and, and you know this if you came to the Roman series, is God gives us a heart transplant. We get a new heart, a new nature that is one with God's nature. And God is a blesser. Third letter of John, verse 2, says this, I pray, above, I, I, pray, I pray above all things that you may prosper in all things and be in health even as your soul prospers. Or, how, what's left out of all things? So you're included. I pray that you'll prosper in all things and be in health even as your soul prospers. The way God looks at it, he envisages our spiritual growth going hand in hand with what manifests of the kingdom in our life. So we, 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 we grow spiritually, our soul prospers, and we prosper. Do, do you get that? So that's how, how he envisages it working. Now, just need to say that there's still believers who are convinced it's not very Christian to have any money. And it, it works like this. They believe it's holy to be poor. And, but what's really subtle under that? Because well, generally when I find somebody like that and I'm talking to them face to face, I'll challenge them. And what I find underneath it is they don't believe that they're good enough for God to trust with any money. It's not that they believe they should be poor, it's that they see themselves as not being the sort of person that God should trust with any money. And so they make all sorts of excuses around it. Here's the problem with that, that that, that sort of thinking, first off, it prevents God's kingdom advancing. Like, if there's no money to spend, you outside here this morning, there's no musical equipment, we aren't paying any rent here, we've got nobody in the office, and, and, and we've got nothing to fund mission trips, uh, help to people who need it, 
teaching or anything. So if we all think it's good not to have any money, then we can't do what we're called to do as a body. <laughs> so it's illogical. It doesn't, it doesn't work. And, and the second thing is this, is that it limits your faith in believing God for the greater things in your life. Because if you can't get your faith right in that area, and, and the blocking point there is that you don't think you can be trusted with money, what's he can he trust you with? And, and, and it makes us think small as believers. It makes us think we can't do anything. And then we find ourselves in this re really weird situation and we find some churches that do have money and then we admire them and go, well, they can do all that and we can't do anything. And, and it, it kind of gets in all sorts of messes in our heads and, and it, it doesn't need to be like that. You see, that at the heart of it, we have an attitude of unbelief. Unbelief in what God has done for us in making us his righteousness and setting us right with him. An unbelief in him that he's bigger than we are. And he's able to use imperfect vessels like us. And, and when we get in that, you, you see this all so widespread. You see people with something that I call a poverty mindset. That they, they, they will not spend any money on anything. And, and they, they're always telling other people not to spend any money on anything. And they don't enjoy life. And, you know, that it's not that they haven't got anything that they can spend. It's just they won't spend it in case they run out at some point down the line. And, and it, what it is, is it's often it's a spirit. It's a spirit of fear. Spirit, you know, some people call it a spirit of poverty. I don't, I don't think it is a spirit of poverty because the curse is broken off us. We are not destined for poverty. We're destined for prosperity. So, so even if, you know, the enemy was chucking something at us like that, then it's not, it's not something we have to accept. But we do get in fear. And fear is the biggest enemy of faith. Fear is the most is the, the enemy's biggest plan to stop us believing God for anything. And so we, we, we get in fear and we think, well, you know, I haven't been on holiday for uh, a year. I need to go on holiday. I've got no money. I can't give this month. Because if I don't give, then I can go on holiday. That's the sort of faulty thinking it gets us in because God's intention, as I said, is to get enough to you at the time you need it for you to do what you need to do. And he knows you need rest, just the same as he knows you need to work. Let me run through this quickly, so I'm going to give you some theological background. Because it all starts at the beginning. Well, I, I won't start at the beginning. Let's start, start somewhere else. What did Jesus, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, what do, what do I pray? What did he say? Our Father, who art in heaven. You know, yeah? Sort of a few lines into that. What does he say? Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Or your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Do you think there's any lack in heaven? Is there any poverty in heaven? 
is there any, uh, is God running out of resource? Is he like, you can't have anything today because the coppers are empty? Okay, uh, let me just establish that. Do we believe that? That's what heaven's like. So if God tells us, your kingdom come on earth as it in heaven, what does he envisage the body of Christ to look like? No lack. No lack of provision. More than enough to do everything it needs to do. Yeah? So, because if you don't believe that, every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're lying. Because you're asking him to bring about his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and then not believing him to do it. You're trying to redesign the kingdom. You're trying to redesign heaven, so good luck to you when you get there. <laughs> the truth is, you're blessed to be a blessing. Okay, so you need to understand that. You're blessed with a purpose, which is to be a blessing. You're not blessed just to be blessed. And, and this is why the God's system isn't a charity system. It just doesn't give you stuff because he wants to bless you. He gives you stuff because he wants to bless you and then he wants you to be able to bless others. When, um, when God created Adam, what did he do? I'll show you. I've got, I've got a little, little, I, I love this. This is, this is a little, this is one of my most precious possessions. This is, um, I was given this by Deloitte to, uh, as a gift to signify that I was now a partner in, glo in the global firm. Okay, so I went all the way to New York and went to a very boring conference, but did get to go up the Empire State Building. And was given this at the end of it. And I think it's gorgeous. I think it's fantastic. It's, it's all crystals within glass that they've shaped the world out of. And um, apart from the fact that it set off all the alarms through security when I back, back out of New York Airport and I got fully searched and had to, like, completely searched um, because of this, <laughs> it is one of my better memories. <laughs> now, somewhere in there, Around about here, God put Adam and Eve in a place called the Garden of Eden. And he told them that what their mission, what he was doing here, is the Garden of Eden was perfect and wonderful and gorgeous and had everything you needed and, and, and stuff. But the rest of the earth didn't. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. God blessed Adam and Eve and then he told them to go and bless the earth he told them to replenish the earth he told them to subdue it he told them to cultivate it he told them to be fruitful and fill it so God blessed Adam and Eve in one specific place to be a blessing to the whole world and he hasn't changed he, he, he doesn't change that plan so I'll, I'll put that away before we set off any uh, fire alarms or security alarms or whatever you see, go with me to, you don't have to look at it. Psalm 35 verse 27 says this, that God delights in the prosperity of his servant. And that still offends some people's minds. It still offends 
the religious spirit that some of us carry. That God delights in you being prosperous in every area of your life. Psalm 35, verse 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favour my righteous cause. Let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified. In other words, let all the earth see how big our God is and, and make God big in front of the world who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Amen. God enjoys blessing you. And he's never going to let you down. We know that. We sang that this morning. Now, when we read something like that, you find people who reject that out of hand. And then you find other people who go to the other extreme and think that this is all about them getting. And, you know, I've seen that so, so widespread. You see, people will give in order to get. And you know what's really sad? As churches, we've cottoned on that we can get money out of people if we preach that if you give, you'll get. And so we've created a mindset that church only works for me as long as I feel blessed. Church is somewhere I go to and I give money to in order that I can get money and I can be blessed. Now, that's what I mean by manipulation and bad teaching. Because you don't give to get. You get to give. This, this fact, this system that, that God set up doesn't work if our heart desire is to get. It short circuits it. And so that's why there are people in churches all over the world who have given faithfully every week thinking one day all their crops going to come up and it doesn't. And they get disillusioned because they were giving to get. But you get to give. God blesses you to give. And in doing so, you get blessed and you prosper. But if you, if you just start, I've got, so I'll give in order to get, it short circuits the way that cycle works. And that's why so many people have got hurt in this area. It's not because the word is wrong, it's because the way we've applied it is wrong. You will get, but getting is a byproduct. Not the goal. When it the minute it becomes the goal in your faith system, it fails. Why does it fail? It fails because you are trying to put faith in something that God never promised. God promised he would bless you. And out of that blessing, you would be a blessing to others. You can't then say... So then, I'll give in order that I can get some money. Because that's not how it works. You can only put faith in what God has said, not what people have said he said. So God blesses you to be a blessing. Let me just show you that again. Genesis 12. 
Abraham. God goes and finds somebody who he's going to trust to build a nation that he's going to call his own people. And the man he finds is called Abram. Changes his name later to Abraham. This is, this is his call to Abraham. I, I kind of like God to walk in here and do this to me. I wouldn't like some aspects of it, like leaving everything behind and uh, all my family and friends. Because, you know, we missed you over our two and a half weeks holiday. Not too much because it was hot and sunny and nice, but we did miss you. So get out from your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. Why is God blessing Abraham? Because he's a blesser, not because Abraham's a good egg and he's, he, you know, he's, he's doing all the right things. God blesses. He chose it. It's grace. I will bless you and make your name great. Why would God want to bless somebody and make them famous and make them great? The next line says, and make your name great, so and you shall be a blessing. God's purpose in blessing us is to bless others. He makes us prosper in order for us to bless. If we, if we make it about something else, it doesn't work. So it makes us prosper in order for us to bless. Let me, let me go on with this. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what he's doing is he's doing a specific working out of the promise that he gave Adam in the first place. It's always been his intention that this is how the kingdom works. And we have to learn to do things kingdom ways, not human ways. You see, when we do things kingdom ways... It takes faith because it doesn't work in the way our mind understands as logic. You see, and, and it's the same in, in most aspects of the kingdom. Because God does things different to us. Otherwise, we would be God and we could sort everything, couldn't we? But he does things different because he can sort stuff that we can't. And so when the doctors come along and say, you're going to die and there's no hope for you, there's nothing we can do and you've got three months left, that's the way the world thinks. But God says, I'm the healer. I can do the miracle. I can change things. When you, the, people come along and tell you that you'll never make anything of yourself, your situation's hopeless, that you're never going to be anything, you've messed up and you can't, get, you can't recover it. God says, everything is new every morning in my system. When you're under incredible pressure, when you're in... Sorry, I'll just change this. When you're under incredible pressure, when everything's closing in on you, when everything's gone wrong, God said, who can be against you because I'm for you? I'm stronger, I'm greater. In this, you're more than a conqueror. All of that goes against logic. In the same way, the way that kingdom works in terms of prosperity, material things, goes against logic. Do you, do you understand that? God is not a logical God. He's not constrained by our logic. 
He's constrained by our faith. Will we believe him and act on it? So here we go. This is the, the last concept I want to touch on this morning. This is how God's system works differently. God has a concept. We, we have a, like a, a shadow version of it so I can explain it to you. God has a concept and he calls it stewardship. Okay? Now, if you read books about, you know, rich dad and how to get rich and, you know, you read your, your columns in your newspapers or, or whatever... One of the things that people will tell you, and a lot of it revolves around, we have a concept, which is budgeting. God's kingdom does not work by budgets. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Try that again. Hallelujah. <laughs> Can we all have a go at that? Hallelujah. God's kingdom doesn't work by budgets. Now, that's not saying budget is a bad thing. It's a good thing to do as long as you realise that it's really limited. It's a good thing to do because what, you know, if you put it in kingdom terms, what you're trying to do is you're trying to work out how most effectively God wants you to reuse the resources he's given you. But here's what happens with most people's budgets. They go... I'm spending this on my mortgage, I'm spending this on the car loan, I'm spending this, I need some new clothes, I need that, I need that. Oh, there's 20p left for God. Okay, that's how a budget works. Now, what I find really interesting is that there are the Christian organisations and, and Christian debt counsellors who think it is wrong to tithe. That's right, isn't it, guys? Yeah? yeah? And, and they... And, and you, you go through their system and they, they have no giving in it until... Um, because there's no space for it in the, in the budgeting form. And then they won't help you if you carry on giving. Now, that's crazy, but it's logical. And guys, we need to stop being logical people and be faith people, because faith will take you beyond where logic will ever get you. Well, like that. Faith will take you beyond where logic will get you. That's the point of faith. God isn't constrained by anything except your belief in him. So stewardship, this is how it works. God trusts you with a certain amount of resource and your responsibility is to use it as he directs. God trusts you with a certain amount of resource your responsibility is to use it as he directs. Now, there's four key things I want you to think through in that definition because this is where it moves away from budgeting. Here's the first thing. Everything you have in your life comes from God. That's what the word says. Everything in your life comes from God. Second thing, you commit to managing that for the benefit of the kingdom. Now, that's not the bottom line of your budget. That's the top line that you are committing for managing for the benefit of the kingdom. That's how this works. Everything you have comes from God. You commit to managing it for the benefit of the kingdom. 
you've got to be prepared to give an account ultimately for what you did with it. Because it's not yours. It's his. He gave it to you. And then you trust God to provide. Now, does that sound logical or illogical? It's illogical, isn't it? Because what's just gone off in your head is I can prove to you you're wrong, Mark. I can prove to you you're wrong. I earned that money with the sweat of my brow, my efforts. I went and studied for it. I got the qualifications. I did the long hours in the offices. I was there on Saturdays. I was there on Sundays. I got that money. And God says, I made you. I gave you the talents. I gave you the abilities. I let you be born or live in a prosperous country. I gave you those opportunities. I placed you in a place where you could go to university, where I, I, I put you in Cambridge, where you could get the best education in the world. So how much was you? You see, we need a mind shift because we've got locked into this idea that it's us. Us that have done it, us that can do it. And quite honestly, you know, I, I haven't always got this. And for years, I, I would um, get up in the morning, I'd be out the house by six, I'd be in the office by half past six, having driven into Manchester, I'd get home at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, week in, week out, sometimes in at weekends, and I didn't get it. And you know, when I got it, I didn't do any of that, and I prospered more. But we won't let go because we fear letting go, and it won't work. That's why we have to trust God. See, stewardship, what it does is it understands that you are supposed to work hard. You are supposed to use what God's given you, but then you trust him to bless it. And then all that you've got is a result of what he's given you. Now, let me just run through a few things before I finish, because we're going to do some prayer at the end. Because what... The, the big thing that's going to stop us actually living this, so just taking you back to the start, when you're saying, I'm blessed, you've got to live it. You've got to believe it. We have to put some actions to all this stuff we've been learning over the years. You see, when, when you think that it depends on you and you're the one earning the money and you're the one that's responsible for your prosperity... And, and it's all down for you and your efforts and your cunning and your skill and your abilities. Here's what the word of God says it produces in you. Firstly, the word of God says you won't be able to let go of the money when you've got it. The second thing it says is this. When you become so focused on it being you that produces what you need in your life, you become mastered by it and enslaved by it. 
And I think it's just so sad that we see that in the majority, honestly, the majority of Christians' lives. They are enslaved to money, finances, careers, efforts. No different from the world. Sometimes worse because they're trying to prove something to God that they're good enough for him, which is just crazy. Because we were never good enough for him, but he chose to die for us anyway. So, like, what else can he do to prove that he doesn't depend on how good we are for him? You see, for many believers, the truth is that they view their finances, their prosperity as separate from the relationship with God. So they can be ardent believers worshipping on a Sunday morning or in life group and yet going to work and never think about God at all. And, 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 and be focused on how are they going to make ends meet? How are they going to do it? Now, I'm not saying... I'm not saying it feels easy to be able to do this, particularly if you've got out the habit of doing it or you've never done it before. Here's two things I am saying. Firstly, we've done it for 30 years of marriage, seven years dating before that, and we have never, ever not had what we needed. Secondly, We've never been in a position since I upped my giving to two pound a week from one. We've never been in a position where we have given as little as a tithe. And we've never, ever been short of the ability to bless others way beyond ourselves. You know, some people say, well, you know, like, Mark, why don't, why don't you give away everything and, and just become poor? Let me explain it. You give it away once, it's gone. God isn't a short-term God. He's, he's a God who, who, who walks through us. He delights in what we have, and he's trying to create in us a generous heart. There are a lot of poor Christians who've given away their, what they had out of a, a desire to sacrifice from God who've got nothing to give. God says, I give seed to the sower. He doesn't say, I give seed to the one who ate their seed. It's a really simple principle. And, and the point I'm making is we have to do it God's way. Look at what happens to Abraham. And I'm going to finish on this and we're going to do some prayer. Uh, so if the musicians could like come back up, unless you're so enthralled you, you want to listen to this. Here's what happens. So a little bit down the line, Abraham, who is not a superstar, for most of his life, to be honest. He's a bit of a liar. He's a rogue. I don't know if you know that about Abraham. But anyway, he, he falls. He, does, he doesn't obey God. He takes Lot, his nephew, and his family along with him. And it gets all sorts of problems. And Lot ends up living in this place called Sodom. Sodom, how many of you know Sodom is not a good place? Yeah? Not a healthy place to end up. That's, that's what happens. Uh, Lot chose Sodom because it's fertile. He chose it because it was the easy way to get some money, he thought, and it was a disaster. And what happens is that Sodom gets invaded and Lot gets carted off by all these invading kings and, and they, they pillage the place, emptied all the coffers of the king of Sodom who was really, really rich and run off with it. Now, what does Abraham do? 
So you, what would you do in his situation? So they've just wiped out a town, pillaged it, took all the money. Abraham, you're, you're farming your sheep. What do you do? Well, let me just remind you that God said he would bless Abraham to be a blessing to others. Okay, so let's, let's have a look at what, what happens here. Let's go to, um, well, let me just tell you what happens. Abraham takes 318 men with him. Those 318 men are Abraham's servants. Now, just let me remind you, two chapters earlier, God said, I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing. At that point, no servants. Now he's running a household with 318 servants. What do we do if that happens to us? Most of us go, thank you very much, I'm provided for for life. I've made it. Here's what Abraham does. He takes his 318 servants, he chases the king, he chases all those that have got, and he runs them off, defeats them with his 318 servants, they're not even soldiers, and he gets all the spoil back. So now Abraham has 318 servants plus all the wealth of the king of Sodom on his donkeys. And he's marching back and the king of Sodom comes out to meet him and what, what does it, the king say? He, says, he basically says, well, I'll read it to you. Chapter 14, verse 21. Now the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the persons, give me the people that you've brought back and you can keep all the money, all the goods, everything, all the spoil. So Abraham's now in a place where he can have 318 servants plus all the money of the king of Sodom and all he's got to do is give back to the king of Sodom the servants that he had in the first place. What would you do? Tell you what I do, I go, thank you very much, God, we're out of here. What does Abraham do? Abraham does this. Abraham said to the king of Sodom, this is verse 22, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high. He is the possessor or the owner of heaven and earth. I will take nothing from you, from the thread to a sandal strap. Now not take anything that is yours, lest any should say, it was you that made Abraham rich. You see, Abraham had so understood that the source of his blessing was God that he refused to rely on anything of man, even when it looked like a gift horse. And when we get to chapter I think it's 24 of Genesis, just before Abraham dies. It says about this about Abraham. And God blessed him in all things, and he was exceedingly rich. We have to get our, not just our knowledge, but our practice to be that God's my source. He's the one that blesses me. Everything I have is his. Now, how are we going to bless others? That's how we think. That's how believers think. That's, that's how the kingdom thinks. If we think anything else, it doesn't work. Now, I'm doing this because I'm being straight with you. You know, we, we could go around the bush and um, I could try and, you know, I could become one of these people who just totally avoids talking about it at all. Or I could be one of these people that really 
I think you should give me a thousand pound and you can have a worship leader anointing. Either way. <laughs> but what you can't do is ignore the fact that God talks about this a lot. And what we're going to find out next time is that Jesus says, if you can't be faithful in finances, I can't trust you with anything. The kingdom will not work for you. And I think that's, that's a, just a massive challenge to our mindsets, isn't it? 